Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to today's episode of the Smarter Growth Podcast. I have the pleasure today to talk to Patrick Trimpey, and Patrick is uh, one of the first sales managers I had the pleasure to work with. And um, in the meantime, he started building his own businesses and started teaching other people. And Patrick is not only a constant inspiration to me, um, he also wants to introduce himself really quick. Patrick, welcome. Welcome, Max. Glad to be here at uh, your podcast today. Um, I, I'd, li I'd, I'd like to introduce myself. You said real quick, so do you give me like 30 seconds or what would you... <laughs> uh, as much as you need. Thank you. That's interesting stuff to, to, to talk about, I know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Take it. Um, yeah, no, really pleasure to be here, Max, um, because, well, I learned a lot from you in the past and I'm still using all those amazing techniques that we that we practice together uh, so many times. Um, but my sales career started, I think, during my um, studies. I studied political economy at university in in, uh, in Switzerland and while I was studying my my parents didn't didn't have a lot of money and they were like mm, well if you study you have to finance yourself a little bit you have to support uh -huh. us I have three sisters and so it was a bit tight um, money wise so they said hey it would be good if you if you'd work um, and then I was looking for so I was looking for a job in my first bachelor year um, And what I found was a, a like a franchising company that would support me with with uh, with education regarding financial financial um, consulting for small and medium enterprises, but mostly uh, private clients as well. Um, so that's where my sales career started, basically B 2 C, I'd say. Um, uh -huh. And. So I, I, I had my own office after like one year into the company. I opened an office. I, I worked with four of my best friends in that office. And uh, it was quite a lot of fun. It was it was a lot of fun during to, to do that during the studies. I learned a lot. Um, and so but after three years into B2C, I had to say it was it, it has become quite boring. I have like, you know, it's not very complex in a way what you what you sell and also it becomes quite repetitive um, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i wanted to first i wanted to study uh, a model or to do a master's degree in some kind but on the way there i was um, stopped by the founder of starmind pascal kaufmann and so he asked well, well i had the chance to Started Starmind, an AI startup from Switzerland. Um, started there, so I, I wanted to take the opportunity. One year in Switzerland, worked there, went on to Germany for three years. Did build up the German market for Starmind. Moved on to New York, um, led the New York office for a year, and then came back to Switzerland and joined my friend's startup here a year ago. Um, from Basically, 200,000 ARR, we are now at about a million. Um, so it's going well for the first year. Um, and 
Yeah, sales is a lot of fun. I think you can constantly learn new things. You never stop learning, and that's what I that's what I enjoy. Um, I guess. And uh, yeah, so it's a pleasure. And also at Starmind, as you know, I learn. As I said, I, I learn quite a lot of stuff from new try new techniques and and uh, that that I think that I implemented at Larry as well. Mm -hmm. And it was actually fun, you know, like this. Uh... Um, you, you know that I'm a constant believer in technology being valuable if we explain it in a way that people understand it and that customers understand what to do with it and why they actually should should use it and what is uh, what is the expected output and so forth. And one question I had on on your university story when you, when you started that sales career, how old were you? Um, it was in 2009, so I was probably 20 or 21 years old. Yeah, uh, yeah that's cool. And, and you know, like a lot, for a lot of people um, who learn sales by all by themselves, um, would you say uh, someone can be too old to learn selling? No, I, I don't think so. I think uh, everyone can learn selling at any time of their of their of their life. I guess I'd say. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, why not? It's not, it's not, I think sales is a very practical, right? That I think that I learned from you, I like sales and, and it's obvious sales is a very practical, um, a very practical function or skill or tip or whatever. Um, it's, it's very practical. So, um, you learn, you don't, you can learn certain things by reading books and convince yourself of certain, you know, approaches, how you do it. And there are a lot of good books about sales out there, but by only reading it, you're not, you, you're not going to get better, do you? Um, I mean, when I, a good example is when I started at Starmind, we, you know, we would always in the first meeting, we would, we would start with a demo right away. You know, we would demo our software, which is kind of not something you do at the first meeting. You want to first understand your customers' uh, problems and uh, and you want to first, you know, make that very thorough and to, to, to have a predictable pipeline and know whether the customer actually is ready to buy your solution and also to present your solution in a way that makes sense for that customer, as you just said, um, you know, pr yeah. present your solution in a way that, that people can understand. Um, so we did that, but I, besides, I read in books that this is not the way to go. You know, I knew that you should do it differently. And so I tried it in certain ways at the very early years at Starmind a little bit. You know, I tried a little bit to ask a few questions at the beginning and, yeah. but I never, really, I never, it never really was, it was never really satisfying how I did it. And I didn't have the technique to, when somebody says, hey, I'm very happy to be in the call today and I look forward to you to tell me about your solution. And then you're like, okay, um, okay. Your expectation is that I tell you about my solution. Yeah, that's my expectation. And you know, how do you go about that? You don't, you don't learn this by reading a book. Uh, and there are no techniques in books that I, that I found uh, very, very um, working very well. And I never practiced, I never really practiced um, offline without a customer with my colleagues, uh, this, this approach, I never perfected that approach. So 
long story short, uh, sales is a very practical um, function um, and everyone can do practice, practice, practice every day. Um, yeah, so I guess everyone can actually become a good salesperson. And that's interesting because it matches my experience. And when I when I started really learning the craft of sales, right? The, I mean, the not the art part, but really the scientific part, the repeatable, the, the, the stuff that you can learn. Um, mm -hmm. I, I actually mess, I had been messing around for 15 years or so, and it, I really had to pay for it, right? So I, I felt the pain, the agony, the despair, you know, like the, I had to live with the output I created when I sucked at selling. And yeah. my life improved only after I learned how to have these conversations and how to prepare for them. And and not only the sales part, if you will, but also the the things that you could say are more like on the marketing side of things, like uh, all, everything around using uh, Simon Sinding's wisdom, right? The golden circle, talking about why and, and not only the what and not only the feature, but also what it stands for, what you could do with it. All of those marketing things headlines and you're like yeah and, and and i mean this is like a science uh uh we we talked about it um in a different conversation all these little black holes right that can inhale you easily when you get started with these uh, things some mm -hmm. people completely disappear trying to do content marketing others completely disappear trying to do facebook advertising some disappear trying to write their ebook and stuff so very interesting uh, experience you had there. And uh, uh, I think you like Starmind is a good example because they have a beautiful software, um, a completely new way to organizing teamwork around knowledge workers is really beautiful. And I understand, and that's the same for every technology organization, like they try to show that stuff first before because they think that's the big differentiator. And so it's 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 usual that we that we try to pitch the product first at at the tech uh, organization. It's also usual that you read in books that there has to be a different way. Mm -hmm. But reading yeah. it from a book never helped me. It never helped me. And I think there's a reason for that. It's not because I didn't understand it, but it's this imagination and the confidence that was missing. I could not see myself do it just because someone has been writing it down in it in the book oh, okay. there and, yeah. and then there's something else you know, like when i read these sales tips and, and i see successful salespeople, i always ask myself yeah look is that really comparable to my situation now here's patrick right he he takes over sales at Starmine, for instance he builds germany then he builds the us but they have a beautiful product right they already know how to use the hdmi cable they have a good demo so a lot of salespeople we meet they think that what they are missing is the good demo or what they are missing is the good sales deck, the slide deck, right? Or they think some other resource is missing. And that's why we labeled this episode, if you had to start over, Patrick, if you had to start fresh, brand new, no demo, no product, no nothing, right? No, and we take everything away. We take everything off the table, no customer list, no existing customers, you have nothing but a laptop, right? And let's imagine you had to start over at Larry and not, maybe not even not even a wonderful, super special product, right? That would attract customers in itself. But it would all depend on you, right? Being that first 
uh, a solopreneur inside the company, it's your responsibility to get customers and close the deal. Uh, uh, first question: Would you even would you even consider uh, doing it? Sorry, would you even consider? Yeah, would you even consider doing it? Would you even consider? Would you even want to start over again? Um, good question. I mean, if I a year ago at Larry, I mean, you 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 brought two cases. One is really starting from new, not having anything. Um, I was in a good situation a year ago when I started brand new at Larry, first sales person they had, but successful customers, um, or they had customers and, you know, I could call them up and ask what they benefit from to uh, put down a list of, of all the most important use cases and then approach other existing customers with those use cases and you know mm. which is obviously the obvious approach when you have something but i think in every startup um in in yeah in every startup assortment as well you always are going to be in the situation that you approach you have to approach someone that you cannot like we don't have a bank as a client at larry unfortunately we try and it's tough we don't have yet, but banks could be potential clients for us as well. And it's hard to get the first one on board. That's yeah. basically as if you would start from scratch sometimes because the bank is like, OK, what clients do you have? What banks do you have as clients? And you're like, we don't have any. Um, but still, I think we believe that this case could be interesting for you as well. So tell me, how do you do that today? You know, you, you basically you have to start from scratch in many ways as well. Still, even you work at a startup um, mm -hmm. at a startup. Yeah, so I definitely would start from scratch uh, again because I think it's exciting. It's exciting to to talk to your cost to, to talk to potential customers to find out whether what you have is actually a pain out there. You know, uh -huh. it's not, you don't just build a, a, a nice product and and uh, you find it exciting, but it's actually of no use out there because you simply do not, uh, you do not help to achieve a desirable result for the customer or you do not solve a problem that is a priority out there, you know. So that's the, that's the key things. And I do like, when I start, would start from scratch, I would definitely like, it, it's going to, what's going to be easier is, if you don't have any customers, you can approach your potential customers by saying, hey, I have an idea. I really like to challenge that idea with you. Do you have time for a call or, you know, can I talk to you for 30 minutes because I'm interested? And people will do that, actually, mm -hmm. uh, quite often. I mean, you also give them something. You, you also have to give them something. You cannot just say, hey, can you have 30 minutes of your time because, uh, you know, um, I want to talk to you about this. Uh, give them something back, potentially something they, they 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 can benefit from, and many are open to learn about these things. So if you open, if you start really from scratch, that's going to be a fun part, I think, and people will like to 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 talk to you, and you can learn a lot from whether you can be successful with your product. You should actually do that before you even start, uh, before you even program something. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's. 
that would be a good idea. So I, I'm right now um, with a, with other friends. I'm starting, or we are programming right now, in a, a, a new software. And one of my friends approached me with his business plan, with a business idea, and he said, "I have this business idea. Um, do you think it's good? And do you want to join?" Yeah. I read the business plan, and um, I thought, mm, like. As it is set up, it's not going to work, I said, but we didn't change anything. I said, what we're going to do, Michael, Michael is his name, Michael, what we're going to do also, and well, yeah, also as, as our common friend, Michael. Um, so I said, Michael, what we're going to do before we even change anything, let's talk to these potential buyers. Yeah. So we picked up the phone on Saturday, called about 25 of these buyers. I put together a questionnaire with, with, with about 10 questions, like what is your challenge today when it comes to that process? What would you, where do you see yourself in, in three years? What do you think is going to stop you to get there? Um, and so on. So a few questions that were neutral about the case. They, we didn't say we have this idea. I just started and said, hey, I have an idea with one of my friends and I'd like to find out if we actually solve a problem with that idea. Can I ask you a few questions? No one said, no, no time, go away. Um, so we had this 25 calls and then after that, we changed the business idea to something that could actually match those uh, five key challenges that we got out of this calls. And that was very fun, um, I have to say. And, and, and so definitely. Uh, that that was a long answer too, but yeah, I would definitely start again, and I think uh, you can still be easily successful at just get out there. Yeah, and it's it's interesting uh, 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 and super relevant. You uh, you said earlier that I mean, if you if you had a product, um, or even if it looked like there was nothing, you would you would go inside the company and find something and find out what is that value. What is it that uh, this that makes this company special? What is it that people love about this company? Um, and like you did at Larry, where you already had a few customers and, and they were successful, so they were using the services, the intellectual property, the software to achieve yeah. goals in their business. So you would try to find that. If if you didn't even have that, you would go out there and, and make sure you start talking to potential customers tomorrow, right away, right? First thing you do is talk to the customer, find out what their priorities are, maybe even find out what it's what the value is for them, and then start building around that, right? Building from there. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And and you seem to be very optimistic that it's still possible today. I mean, the 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 the, the marketplace is crowded, right? I mean, there's the, the, everybody's buying from one of these super large shops you still you still seem to be optimistic that guys like you and me could build a, a new sales practice today is definitely that true? it depends though on the on the region i i'd say i mean if i compare us and europe here <laughs> i have to say as a as a newcomer or if you if you if you have a you're a founder of a, of a company and you want to do sales you know and have not much yeah. experience in sales, it's much easier to start in Europe compared to the US. Um, because in Europe, you can scale a sales process at the very beginning, you can scale that much easier and you can reach out to people in an in a easier way than in the US. In the US, without 
picking up the phone and start dialing like the, the Wolf of Wall Street uh, um, quote, I'd say you, you no chance. Honestly, I mean, you, yes, maybe you get a few. Uh, we like if if you send out, let's say, 100 emails, and let's take the, the example of cold emails. If you send out 100 of cold emails in the US, your success rate is going to be between zero and 0.5 percent. So, and in Europe, you can still reach 15, 20 percent booking rates. You can, um, where and and it, it's in, in no time, right? You can send like if you take the cold email as an example. I mean, there are so many other approaches that you were that you were talking about that I don't know some of. For some of them, I don't know much of like Instagram and Facebook and SEO and all that is marketing, I'd say I'd call those the marketing um, tools, not necessarily for me, not necessarily B2B outbound sales uh, tools. I mean, if, if we talk about that separation, still, I've never worked in a company that generated any inbound leads, which would be through these. Uh, but yeah, with, it depends where you find your audience, right? If you're in B2C, obviously, <laughs> Uh, yeah, cold email or LinkedIn approach wouldn't it wouldn't work. It wouldn't be cost efficient anyway. Uh, it depends on how expensive the product is, but that's not. But yeah, to in B two B in Europe much easier. In the US a little harder, I'd say. I think you pretty early need someone who does this tough uh, cold calling and you know going through a certain sequence of cold calling, emailing, LinkedIn approach, LinkedIn messaging, and so on, if, if we talk about the outbound sales uh, here. So yeah, that it's harder there for sure. In Europe, easy, I'd say, honestly, easy. I've done it with a lot of startups um, successfully. Yeah. Uh, not those I work for, but I also help other founders in Switzerland, especially to reach their 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 audience, uh, their, their um, yeah, potential customers, B2B customers, and it works still really well with not much experience. And so um, a very, very interesting also to um, to see the correlation between how crowded this marketplace is and the inboxes, right? <laughs> and uh, how successful these campaigns are. And we, I mean, I mean, we don't want to make it too complicated here in this, uh, in this, in this talk, right? Uh, if you if you imagine like what is the um, if we only had the product like we said earlier and and or we find something that is very special inside of a company that people love to love to uh, 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 use and that is really beneficial for the customer, uh, my experience is sometimes that's even stuff people are giving away for free, like the first consultation or something, and they don't even recognize it's valuable, but the customer who's been talking to twenty or thirty shops didn't get that service from others and loves it, right? So sometimes mm -hmm. it's even the sales process that people would love to buy for, uh, pay for. It, so it sounds uh, sounds counterintuitive, but there is this, in, in most companies, there is this special DNA, this special one thing that people love. So if we only had that, and uh, uh, we look at the tactic tactical level, so tactically speaking, um, where would you start? to uh, build that new outreach? Um, yeah. 
I definitely, you mean you're talking about the sales, like specifically outbound sales, or are you talking about, you could also do like, uh, I could, you know, if I had a certain amount of money or uh, you'd spend it on marketing sales or product or um, you use your assumption that we have a product and we, we want to reach a certain customer base. Is that, am I on the right track here? Yes, so anything you would really do, really like to do, where you do not depend on magic, right? So you stay, you remain in control. Let's just imagine I have written this new software program or I have, I have an idea for a software as a service um, that would, I don't know, what, what can we develop? A marketing tool that would help you shell out Instagram posts every day. It will just pull the image, put some beautiful text on it, put your logo on it and push it out to Instagram with, with a little text and few questions, right? So people can engage. So, uh, and uh, because I don't want to program the software, I do, uh, uh, I hire a lot of people. Um, even before I code the software, I hire a team who would do it manually for customers. And now I talk to you and say like, Patrick, you have a lot of experience finding customers. We need your help. What would be the, one of the first things you would do, technically speaking? Um, definitely finding finding out uh, the ICP for sure. I mean that's the that's the most important thing. If you want to reach out, if you want to gain customers, you need you, you know we talked about there are a lot of books out there in sales, and mm -hmm. there is there if you know the book Traction, there is 19 um, tools that you can use to reach out to the potential customers. Mm -hmm. um, outbound sales is one, uh, or let's say outbound sales all cold calling and then cold emailing and whatever, that's one. And then you talked about SEO, you talked about Instagram, or Instagram basically is, is SME and uh, not SCM, um, for instance, and, and, and some others, targeted blogs and so on. But before you define how you reach out to your customer, you need to know who is your perfect customer, the company, the, the the industry and who of that, like what's the persona basically. So um, at Larry, we target regulated companies, which is financial institutions, yeah. energy companies, and we also target associations for two different personas. One is head of legal and compliance and one is head of public affairs, those two personas. So I know exactly what personas and I know exactly what industry. The better you know that, the more successful you're going to be. I can tell you already. I have seen many startups and Starman was one of them or is one of them that has that struggles with finding a specific persona that you solve a specific problem from for or that you achieve a specific result for. So that's the first thing you need to find out. The more specific you can be, the more successful are you going to be. If you cannot be that specific, then yeah, well, you you probably have to you will you will have to to increase the mass or try to to change the product to a niche. I mean, um, that's from the that's from the from another book, Impossible to Inevitable, where you first thing you need to do is nail your niche. It's going to be tough if you want to. Um, if if you want to be this Eierlegende Wollmilchsau, no idea if there's <laughs> all things, or, all kinds of people, right? 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and uh, uh, that's interesting. Uh, uh, by the way, we're, we're, I, uh, I'm taking notes here. We're putting both books, I'm um, linking both books under under this episode here for people to read them. Um, that's really funny because in like everybody and their brother is talking about the avatar, the ideal customer, the persona and why it's so important. And most of the tech organizations we talk to, their feedback on that, they, they think this is a theory, right? What? They think that's a theory. They don't think it's and it has anything to do with their practical sales approach. And yeah. the reason is always the same. The reason is, look, I'm doing Instagram posts, beautiful images. I'm putting text on them. I'm putting a logo on them. That's for everybody. Everybody needs this, right? So that's the typical feedback we get. And from your experience, I mean, you have been a successful sales manager in a software company and then in the next software company and you're helping software companies. And um, a lot of these people have horizontal functional software, right? And still yeah. you yeah. believe after everything you've seen that these ideal customers, dream buyers, avatars, however you want to call them, that's a, that's an important thing. So there's got to be there's got to be a difference between working with the ideal customer in mind and w working without the ideal customer in mind. What's the difference? Mm, the difference is well difficult difficult to say. I mean, you can. There is there is good approaches even if you don't know your exact persona to maybe um, uh, get to the. To, to, do, to a person that, that is interesting for you. But I take your Instagram example, Max. I don't use Instagram. I have no, I don't use Facebook. I don't use Instagram. So you're not gonna reach me on Instagram. So let's say if there are certain personas and I, I, I'd guess my persona that I reach, legal and compliance, head of legal and yeah. compliance, uh, between usually between 40 and 60 years old. Forget to reach those guys on Instagram. Forget it. You're not gonna and 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 still for I think maybe that's but that's maybe a prejudice. But for B2B sales, B2B, um, I guess it's even more difficult to get into the serious context um, there. Ah, shoot. So I will change my posting automatic posting smart ass software into a LinkedIn post generation software. So I can get you on board too, right? But if I understand you correctly, you say like uh, understanding the dream buyer helps you pick the channel. It helps you make a wise decision on where to reach out exactly. to people. What else? Yes. Is there yeah. anything else? That you have to change from your sales approach, you mean, based on who your persona is going to be. That the persona will help you do in terms of reaching different results, avoiding challenges, uh, killing all the frustration. You know, like uh, uh, sales is a lot, is a very frustrating for most of people, right? I mean, nobody wants to do it. Um, it feels like, it feels like you're losing all of the time, right? And so forth. So um, yeah, what, what else could that ideal customer understanding, uh, envisioning, what could that help you do? Um, the most, one of the obviously also most important things in that is the the messaging, the messaging itself. You know, if you whatever you do, if you send out a LinkedIn message, if you cold call, if you cold email, if you put an Instagram thing, um, the 
content of your message needs to be targeted to those people. So if you, if if I write to a legal and compliance guy um, something that he's not interested in, like if I write to a legal compliance guy my public affairs message, like I say, hey, um, uh, do you also struggle to to have and to keep your overview of political businesses? Um, in in the pharma pharmaceutical area, and the legal compliance guy would say, "I'm not interested in political businesses. I, I couldn't care less about that." Um, so you'd have to target your messaging based on that persona-specific challenges and and res potential results. Mm -hmm. And also, if you already have customers, um, don't reach a bank by saying Novartis is our customer or Roche is our customer um, and therefore you you know you also want to give that person a yeah not not all for people are first movers you, you you obviously need first movers and there are still first movers uh, in the startup world crossing the chasm another great book where first you get the first movers but to cross the chasm you need the majority, early majority, and the early majority is only going to be your customer in case you have existing customers in the exact same industry. If you don't, ah. it's going to be tough. Okay, so it's because they want to learn from each other and they don't want to learn from some totally different animal. Yes. Then you say it's it helps you find the better messaging. They want to take, they don't want to, like the, I, I think I'm not sure about this, but I think one of the biggest fears of all those people, especially in big companies, is you know they don't want to take risks. How many? And you you know that, Marcus. How many IT projects failed? Ninety-five percent, right? We know, or ninety percent. Yeah, um, it depends on on how you define fail. But if we talk. I mean, uh, uh, if you ask like any customer in your first conversation, say like, hey, when when was the last time an IT project you had didn't deliver on the expectations? <laughs> it's yeah. like they have yeah. 120% failed projects. And if you look at just you know, like just investments um, or projects that didn't finish, for instance, it's I think al that alone is 66% or something. And so, um, yeah. With everything we know about managing IT projects and 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 you know, I mean, um, I I would say that that is discovered land, but still, um, still uh, there there is huge fail rates. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? What I find interesting is when you when you think that that let's see our little tool that we'll post for you on LinkedIn now, right? Every day and 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 beautiful content that will attract a lot of people. And you like photo with uh, with quote and and your logos and everything. I I always think you know, like different people would still use it in a different way to get to a different result. Maybe maybe if I talk to um, I don't know uh, uh, legal advisors, they would use this mainly to to build their authority. Other people, uh, the chiropractor could use it to attract people directly into his business and, and give them like a free treat so they could, you know, like get to know each each other. And um, uh, then a lot of software startups and tech startups find it helpful to talk directly to that person and, and say like, hey, if you are a chiropractor looking to get more customers, 
this software will help you get the attention, make the offer and pull the people into your shop. And um, I heard something that is another book that, that we both love. I know you love it too. And a surprising hit for us uh, when we when it came out in, I think, 2017 or so. The book is called Ask. It's by Ryan Levesque. And it's really interesting how you can write a book like uh, 4,000 years after Socrates that helps people understand that asking questions can be helpful in some places. <laughs> also, our, you, you talked about our joint friend Michael earlier. This is also something that that he could laugh about all day because you're like, um, it's no news actually that we fare well when we give others room to express, right? If we ask. <laughs> yeah, and um, there's even an earlier version of that. What's the, the Dale Carnegie book? You know, how to win friends, how to win and influence, friends and influence people. That's that's not in a business. That's not be a long well. list down there in the. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're we're <laughs> even though reading doesn't help you to become a better sales, we read a lot, you know. And well, no, but you also have to practice. That's that's the thing. I think you always can find good ideas out of books, obviously, but you need to practice and immediately. A, a practical book doesn't help if you just read it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so persona is important because it will. Um, uh, Ryan Levesque talks about perceived customization. He says, like, even if your product is the same for everybody, people want the feeling that it's for them, and they want to hear in their own words what it will do for them, right? Exactly. Very so, true. Yeah, even if we had, I don't know, a dating platform or so, it's different things to different people. It's another thing for a 42-year-old freshly divorced manager than it is to an 18-year-old girl, right? It's, yeah. it's the same set of functions. It's the same set of features. It may have the same layout. It's still different. It has a different meaning to people. And, and to get down to that level of meaning, why people are there, why they are in business, and that will help you. And that is the pragmatic uh, version. It will help you increase conversion rates, right? Will it? Yes. It will help you increase your pricing even for the same set of functionality and it will help you be, and that is like the reason for the two, it will help you be more relevant um, to that specific audience. Now, the next thing people ask me, and that's also interesting, when, when we say like, hey, go into the niche, right? Uh, have a target persona. Then the next thing I, I see on people's faces is fear. I'm not talking about a little, you know, like a little worry. What I see is fear. And it's it's uh, when you ask what, what's happening, they tell you that you're like, but if we, but, right? <laughs> if we focus only on these people, then everybody else will be lost, right? <laughs> they will just swim. You're like, we, we will not work with them. And, and, and millions of dollars uh, of, of potential revenue pass okay. by. What yeah. do you tell what do you tell those people? <laughs> well, you need to focus your time on those that right now you have the best case, right? So you you, you yeah, you can target everyone and maybe there somebody bites and maybe there someone bites, but if you target the right people, you will increase all the all the ratios and you actually spend time with those people that you think you have the best case with. Actually, there is a pretty good um, 
there's a pretty good example here with um, Documentum, a very famous, it's a quite a famous, I think, startup from, was from, from US, from the Silicon Valley startup that started at around, I don't remember exactly, 19 something, 1990, uh, quite early actually. And um, so they tried the first three years, they tried to target all. They said, yeah, we can solve, so we have so many use cases for everyone, let's just, you know, target everyone. But how do you do that anyway? I mean, uh, what do you say? <laughs> you use general, how do you, yeah, how do you do that? It's kind of, um, maybe you're lucky and some fish bites, but I think it's, yeah, it's not, it's not very efficiently used time. So what they then did, they rethought their case. So they said, hey, we could actually, we see the biggest, uh, that's a hypothesis. So you have to build a hypothesis as well. So we think there is a case in pharma convivial, in pharma, uh, it was in a, it was in um, uh, regulatory, uh, regulatory affairs within pharmaceutical companies who had the biggest issue document certain things. So they said, okay, we target, we only have about, they said, I think top, top 20 or 50 pharma companies, because we only can have the big ones because they yeah. have issues documentation and collaboration, you know, cross, uh, cross country collaboration is tougher for them. Um, so they said we focus on the top 50 pharmaceutical companies in pharma uh, in regulatory affairs yeah. which is like i don't know it's not a high number it's it's maybe i think eight to ten million in yearly revenue they could make with those um so it's not you know and all all the others i mean they could probably make a hundred million yeah they could probably but probably not as fast if they would say okay we target only this with a very specific case yeah. and then they did that and they actually i think they won almost all of them uh, in within a, a one and a half years and within one and a half years they were at 10 million uh, annual recurring revenue and from then on they were in the companies they learned about new use cases or they then they could sell their other use cases to other departments of existing customers which is much easier as we normally normally i have to say because it wasn't always but it's normally much easier to target departments of already existing customers so upselling is usually easier than new sales new business sales not in a case where your product still sucks and you have issues uh, rolling it out and do the change management. If that's the case, it's going to be harder to upsell. But if it's not the case and you do successful projects, then it's much easier and less uh -huh. time and expensive. So that's one of the cases that that um, were eye-opening in that way. I think that it makes sense to focus. Yeah, and then uh, is there something like the law of the one single niche or something? Uh, you like L O O S N, the losing, the losing concept. <laughs> <laughs> and what would that law? What would that that law be? That you, it's the law that tells you that you can only have one single niche, or the gravitation will kill you, or something. I don't know. Is there something like that? I don't think so. I yeah. don't think so. Yeah, and that's what people are afraid of. They think if they if they think through one niche, they will stay there and just there forever, right? And um, um, yeah, mo most software you like, especially if, if we we talk. We, I mean, we had this nice little like sub talk here, going from nothing 
to seven or eight figures, right? When you, when you talk about 10 million in annual recurring revenue. And for companies going beyond that level, things change a little, right? All of a sudden you have to build a team and you have to do all the stuff that Aaron Ross uh, writes in this book that you mentioned earlier from yeah. impossible to inevitable. Um, but going, I mean, and, and, and you like, uh, like, like you did at Larry, I mean, you, 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 you added like 500% to, to the revenue in a year. I mean, come on, right? You, 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 it five times, you're, you're five times as much re revenue now than a year ago. So these numbers are crazy valuable and everybody wants to get there. But what I hear from what you tell me is, uh, I didn't hear you need to have content marketing. I didn't hear you need to have a successful YouTube channel. I didn't hear you say, get all the books written. I didn't hear you say, hire a big team. I didn't hear you say anything of any of those. So what do you really need to bring your small company that you love so much to get that product out to people that you love so much and for a good reason, because it's probably great stuff. What do you really need? What is the minimum to take that company to, we're talking about B2B, right? Software asset <laughs> products, I don't know. What do you really need typically to take that company to 2 million, 5 million in annual recurring revenue from your experience? Um, yeah, so all the things that we were already talking about, the niche, um, the ICP, so that legit needs to be needs to be clear, needs to be as focused as possible. Um, and after that, it's just um, a scalable sales process, basically, for yourself as well. I mean, you know, when, when you are starting as a first salesperson in a startup or you are the first salesperson, you have a limited amount of time. That's usually, well, <laughs> no matter if you're a salesperson or not, it's always like that. But you have a, you have a limited amount of time. So you, and you have to do all of it. You have to do prospecting, you have to do the meetings, the calls, you have to do the demos, you have to do the closing, and you have to write the contracts, and you have the negotiation, and so on. So the limit, the, the list is long of things that you have to do. So probably there's only a certain amount of opportunities that, could, that you could actually have in your funnel and, and push forward with the time you have. Yeah. So it's actually, I think, quite important, especially to automate the first part of this sales channel, like the find, find new people, um, contact those people, reach out to those people and, and book the meetings. That part, the, basically the prospecting part, that needs to be very, like you don't need, you, you shouldn't spend you should always spend time there, always, never neglect it, because otherwise your your funnel runs dry. And I think that was one of yeah. the one of the main points why I had success at Starmind before, because I never neglected it. And even though we had people who did it for us, the SDR part, uh, I always did it myself as well, um, because that's the only way you can ensure your 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 own personal success. By doing the whole thing, if you're dependent on what an SDR will bring you in leads or inbound marketing, as you said, content mark like through content marketing, get inbound leads. Then, as soon as you're dependent on that, yeah, you might be not, you might not be, you might not reach 
your goals and but yeah then whatever it's it's still your fault because you you could have done otherwise um but the scalability of the sales process i think was one of the most important things um when i started at larry eddie the ceo who did the whole sales before yeah he, he, he simply couldn't manage to you know he could not have with his approach he could not have brought um half a million in in a year maybe after five years and building up a, like over a very very long time building up a, a funnel and with customers getting back but he just he he wrote every message you know he wrote on linkedin a message yeah. to someone yeah. hey I have this he wrote an email hey i yeah. have this and he may have called someone and but not in a not not a scalable approach and that costed him a lot of time. And whenever he had something else to do, he didn't do the prospecting. So no more new leads and, and, and yeah. So if you want to be successful, very beginning, um, in, I, I, we, talk, we, we have to be specific as well, I think. We're talking about B2B with tickets above five, ten thousand 10,000 a year. Uh, that's when when salespeople become, it, it's becoming um, cost-effective to hire salespeople. Below 5,000 a year, it might not be, you know, to hire salespeople and you can still sell the product um, cost-efficiently. That's, that's not necessarily okay. So if you sell 5,000 above, um, I think you should definitely start with outbound sales, not with content marketing and things like that because that's the that's that's for me well i i'd like to i'd like to be in charge for me if you do content marketing um you you play a little bit the roulette maybe maybe uh, people are there maybe maybe at some point somebody you you immediately you get an inbound lead uh, through that um but if you actively reach out to people and you follow up and they have to answer you. You get answers, you get meetings, you get good discussions, um, and you can ask your, you can find out what the, the challenges are. So I definitely, I definitely build a scalable outbound sales approach to be, to, to get from zero to one million. And that would give you predictability. Yes. And control. And you're saying all these marketing fads and trends and so forth, you don't think they are bad, but you would just do no. them later. Yeah, I would. I, I think I would do them later. Definitely, definitely not at all. No, no, not at all bad. They are all. There are so many amazing instruments that you have, and and uh, don't get me wrong. So if you sell below five thousand a year, like a software that costs a hundred bucks uh, a month, let's say, so a thousand a year then I would definitely only do some marketing things. I would definitely do um, SEO, I would optimize there, I would, I would build a beautiful website, I would build landing pages, I would build, um, I would take care of SME, I would SEM, I would advertise and, and so on, depending on where my customers are, because you couldn't reach out to people you know, cost effectively. If, if, if you, let's say <laughs> it takes you one day to close a customer and it will, you know, you have three meetings with a customer, one demo, the preparation, uh, the contract uh, set up and so on. So that costs you at least, let's say one day or two days uh, to acquire a customer. And 
calculating that, in, you know, you get quickly to a thousand, and then you you only sold it, but you don't know. Well, well, we have to probably calculate the customer lifetime value, which you can't at this stage. But if you if the, the customer acquisition costs equals the first years um, the first year's earnings, it's not going to be enough. I think there's a formula. I just I, I I don't remember it right now. You might know it, Max. Uh, a formula that to calculate the, like the customer acquisition for cost. But yeah, like in terms of marketing, I'd probably I'd build that later, definitely. Because now as now still uh, at Larry, I can say an additional salesperson would make me more money than one first real marketing person. Yeah, and that's um, that's interesting. And I see a lot of startups. Uh, I see a lot of startups struggle when they uh, try to build these marketing. Like you said, like they make the product cheaper. That's the first impulse. Which most of the time, they should actually double the price and then try, right? But most of them just <laughs> assume their product is too expensive. Then they reduce the price. Then they find out the price is so low they cannot they cannot distribute it through classical sales. And then they built the demo, the online demo and the, and the attraction, and then people should sign up for the software online and so forth. When at the same time, it could make a lot of more sense to put the software in a package, put the, you know, like fly me to the moon service in that yeah. package, put the template yeah. in that package, and maybe even the workshops and everything the customer needs to succeed with your software, because no matter how cheap the software is, People buy that stuff to become more successful because they have their own dreams. So most of the time, these alternatives get lost because if you have a package that includes your little software, but all the other things, right? And that package costs five grand or 10 grand. I love 10 grand more than five, by the way. Then you can start selling it in a cold outreach way and you can build all of those marketing things but most organizations do it for the first time. They totally suck at it. They fail at it, like everything you do for the first time. But with cold outreach, the feedback cycle is a day, right? Yeah. You do it, bloody nose. You do it differently, bloody nose. You do it differently. Uh huh. Yeah. Now you learn it. You can learn it from somebody else. You're like, I would, I would, I could learn it from you, and get started tomorrow, right? We could talk to customers as soon as tomorrow. So that is, I think, that's the beauty of the outreach process that you can absolutely influence what hap what's happening, how much is happening. You can exactly. learn from it even, and you yeah. can see what you hear from customers and use that to build the marketing message. Yeah. And that's why I totally agree. I think that outreach is the most overlooked, most underrated tool in the marketing and sales uh, uh, concerto, if you will, because people are afraid to do it because they think outreach means picking up the phone and having to call people. When, when, like you said earlier, right? You had a, you you had this beautiful uh, description uh, how you how you're doing it. And I know time in this in this uh, session is limited, um, but if I understand you correctly, I mean, um, if people would love to. You're like, if they have already built that marketing engine and everything, but they don't have the predictability in the pipeline and they would love to understand better um, uh, how we are doing this, 
Um, do we have like a 30 minute phone call or so linked under this video that people could use? Sure. <laughs> That's the right answer. Of course. <laughs> yes. So, but it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Would you, I mean, uh, uh, there's this, typically you have this has not built, been, been, has not been built here effect, right? So people, most of the people are not super open to, to sharing all their despair and their challenges with other people. Um, why would you recommend someone to even talk to you or me or both of us before building, starting or going on with building the, their sales practice? Um, yeah, I, can, I can take me again as an example here. Um, if I if I'd imagine I had all those tools, I had all those techniques that I have now, six years ago when I started at Starmine, yeah. I think my world would look different for different. sure. Thousand percent. I, I was so inefficient. I, I I didn't have a clue about customers how they worked, and I didn't find out because I didn't ask. I presented. I you know all these mistakes that people do. And to be honest, I think some sales do it throughout their career, like 30, 40 years in sales, and they still do it only that way. I think experience in sales. It's not every. It's uh, it could be that you have done it wrongly your whole life. Imagine if I, if I did it as I did it the, the first two or three years at Stormind, um, and yeah. I would still be like this. I mean, I still wouldn't understand what what actually what it is to to do sales. And you have to try different stuff. And you have to 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 find out what what's what's your what could be your best approach. But I think there is there is a certain um, there, there are approaches or there is certain boundaries you have to move in. And in these boundaries, you still find, because your product fits more for these kind of people, you, you have to adjust that process a little bit or you have to adjust it based on how customers approach you, based on your approach customers, for instance. But I think there is, there is a, you, you have to move in, in, in these boundaries. And I, when I started at Summit, I was out of, of everything I just did, you know, I didn't really, we didn't have a sales process, a clear sales approach. We didn't. And um, I would have loved, absolutely loved to, to get that help um, back then. Really. Yeah. It would have saved yeah. me so much time. It's just incredible. I mean, it's, it's easy. So if someone feels they don't have the blow off the roof sales process in place that delivers and delivers and delivers and delivers, yes. so yeah. they need to fence off new customers with a stick. <laughs> yes. That talking to to that talking to us could save them years. Did I understand that correctly? Yes, I think. And he would even share one or two tips in those 30 minutes. That would, uh, I mean, let's let's calculate if it could save them months of a typical their own sales work salary right so that they could even they could they could save like tens of thousands of euros right but just getting one or two tips yes i can give you an example when i started we had four people doing the work i do alone now we hired four um for interns basically we paid uh -huh. all of them obviously <laughs> they were gathering data they were gathering uh, 
people like the, 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 they were they, they were gathering all our data and then we then targeted those people and that alone I can do myself alone now um, yeah so so that helps and the other three could do the same so you're now at 400 percent or something exactly. if you need it that much right yeah if I need it that much definitely. yeah yeah and I gotta tell you I would not have believed this when I was running my first company in my mid-20s or something, and I totally sucked at sales, I thought you like all these salespeople are a little crazy, and they're trying to they're trying to uh, to convince you of stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. And when I started working with Michael Simon, that you know the guy very well, and when we started working and, and everything, my image of people in sales changed dramatically. It changed to a point where I think that people in sales are the only hope for some customers because they bring change, right? They bring impulses. And also I, my image about change, uh, about a sales changed. And I think more or less sales and marketing as a combined function in a modern organization are nothing but tools to communicate elegantly and tools that help People, other people, and we're, we're talking about the prospect, the, the customer, help other people make the best possible decision. And yeah. that makes, that turns sales into a non-military function for me, right? Into something that is, even has some, some tiny little friendly spiritual note to it, right? It's, it's actually something that can be very helpful if yeah. it's done right, right? And I know you are someone who would never sell stuff to people they don't need because in this recurring revenue business it can only hurt you right you invest actually, in them you gotta install everything they use it for a year they are pissed they leave you pay right so and and that is uh, that is something that helps me really love this idea of being good and great at sales as a sport because it trans if you do it right, it trans directly translates into helping more people, helping more organizations be successful. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, see, time is almost up. Uh, is there anything else you would like to share with uh, with our listeners and spectators? One last yeah, one last thing. As 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 you were saying, um, I would. Usually, I would always try to learn from others. Um, no matter what, if you if you start from scratch, if you're new into sales or or, or whatever, if you're even already ten years into sales, talk to other salespeople how they actually do it, and be open to maybe try something something new. But talk to people. Talk to people. Not only your customers. Um, to find new use cases that you can sell uh, sell your technology to new, new potential users or, or or whoever, but also regarding your sales approach. Always talk, ask questions, try to understand before to be understood in general. Um, yeah, get out there and ask. That's uh, my last advice, I guess. Thank you, Max, for, for the conversation. It was a pleasure, as always. Thanks. Um, Thanks for taking the time, my dear good friend. You're welcome. You're welcome. And uh, for all of you in front of the screens, 
Uh, we didn't promise you this, but uh, Patrick and I do have some beautiful polo shirts in the making. They feature a sales-made logo on the back. <laughs> and um, uh, book, a, book a, a session with us, uh, one of these 30-minute uh, calls, if you want, and, and we will reward you with a sales-made T-shirt. It's nothing, it's nothing you can buy. It's something that you earn by showing that you are committed to developing that sales practice by showing that you are committed to join our little salesmate tribe with uh, Chief Patrick here. <laughs> and um, yeah, and of course, uh, we are bribing you into this because we want to get to know you better. We are very much interested in in uh, in what, how you see these things, right? What are you experiencing? What, what are you missing? What, what are some of the challenges you are seeing that you need a tool for or help with? Um, and thanks, yeah, thanks for enduring this. Uh, we appreciate your time. And uh, uh, let us know, drop a comment below if you think this was helpful. Then, um, uh, and also if you want, uh, just let us know what other topics you would like to learn about. Take care. Take Lots care. Of success. Good hunting. Patrick, bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Max. Thanks.